You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. So we have Happy Mother's Day today. We're going to be continuing in 1 Peter. Just We're going to go back over this one verse that we've already read a little bit. And so ladies, don't get your dandruffs up. Everybody be calm and relax. Tranquilo, tranquilo, as they say in Spanish. Just, uh, no, just hang in there with me. You'll see where I'm going. And I, I think you'll be encouraged this morning as we study the word together. I wanted to, as our, as our, you know, our, our beginning scripture there, that First uh, Peter 3, verse 1, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And I want the the, the word, as I was kind of reading on this this week, I want you to kind of think of yourselves, lady, not on the, not necessarily on the first part, because I know that gets people stirred up there about the submission part, though that is biblical and it tells us what to do and how to be obedient and how to grow spiritually, because it says that those women who did that, they were holy women, they trusted in God by adorning themselves and being submissive to their husbands, and it said that that the Lord would bless them, they would not be afraid of any terror, and it says that they would have a quiet and gentle spirit, and that it was very precious to God. And so what I have for you this week, I would call this message, I don't usually name the messages, but in this particular one I'll label it for you, uh, Wives, the Secret Agent of the Home. Uh, you like spy books? Anybody like spy books? I like spy, I like spy books. I like, one of them was called, it was really a, a famous book, it was called The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, uh, John Lequier. Carre, John La Carre. I don't know if I can say the word Carre. But anyway, he wrote a book back in um, probably in the 60s or early 70s about his time as an as a MI6 agent from Britain. Still had the Cold War going on. And he wanted to come in. He was done being a spy, but he had a lady that he cared about that was in the uh, Soviet Union or wherever she was. And then uh, and he was going to have to take her through East Berlin. And some of you young people don't understand how that was, but you know, uh, Germany and Berlin was divided in half, East and West Germany, and that Berlin Wall that fell in between there, it actually went down when I was in the, what was it, 90, 91 or 92, right in there. Anyway, they, um, but if you got caught crossing that wall, if you were an East German and you had West German family, you were out of luck. You got caught crossing that wall, they killed you. And that was all there was to it. You couldn't run through the gates, you couldn't cross. Uh, some workers were able to go back and forth during the day, but it was generally Western Germans that were able to go into the east and, and not the other way around. Anyway, so the guy tries to rescue his woman. And anyway, he's willing to give up his life in order to uh, be with her, ultimately. And, uh, and in this other book that was a great book, and I would highly recommend it to girls and ladies and even men about just courage and what people experience. It was called A Woman of No Importance about a lady named Virginia Hall who was an American who spoke French and during the French underground, the French, uh, the French resistance that went on during World War II, uh, this lady was, was really young and lost a leg and was, uh, uh, but could walk and everything without a limp, a great, uh, just great with languages and uh, kind of a stone killer, actually. And she was one of the first women in the CIA later on um, when the USA took her back into the United States and never got any kind of credit actually crossed the French Alps in the wintertime on, with one leg, which is amazing, and just tough, and led men um, as a soldier, as a spy, and uh, just, just a fine, fine person. And she did it for a purpose. Both of these people, these spies, in general, um, 
in their spirit, I'm sure, more than maybe in reality sometimes. But they do it for love of country, and they do it for those that are weaker than them, and they do it to care for those that can't care for themselves. And so that woman definitely had a spirit there, um, the Virginia Hill lady, or Hall, sorry. Um, she definitely had a spirit of care for other people, and that's what I wanted to look at. Um, she considered herself a woman of no importance, and yet she had a huge influence on the French resistance and people were killed all around her other spies that were not as as uh, able or as sneaky or as crafty as she was and um and she really loved them and and she really sorrowed when she saw these other people um, be killed but anyway i strongly recommend that book to anyone um she was just super good at that and and i really think it gives us ideas on how as we see our country begin to become more restrictive on christianity i know lenine is going to be speaking next sunday night i pray you come and hear him. I'm hoping he'll tell you some about Nicaragua, what he's had to endure as a Christian there in a communist country. And he, uh, next Sunday night will be his last night here, and we'll probably take up an offering for him then. And, and I think we're going to begin to support him too as a missionary there. But uh, what people have to do as Christians there compared to here, you can come here, there's no pressure on you, there's nobody shooting at you, there's nobody arresting you. But it's coming, I'm telling you, it's coming. The persecution is coming as, as they restrict the things that we can say that they consider uh, legal conversations, legal words that we're allowed to use against things that are sinful and so on. Um, it's coming. And so those, if you read those, uh, those books about the resistance, How People Stood Up and Live Not by Lies is an excellent book as well. Just how to speak the truth in a time of lies. I think that's one of our greatest struggles. And he told me that's the thing that it really is so frustrating is you never know the truth. And we live in an age just like that. It's, I think people are desperate to know the truth. And as believers, we have the truth. So we need to begin to speak the truth, and we can encourage others with the truth. So anyway, so all I have to say is that the modern, modern godly woman is in a fight very different from anyone, any woman in the United States that has, has experienced in the last 100 years. I mean, our grandmothers didn't have to worry about what they told their children or uh, whether or not their child thought they were a, a boy and they were a girl or vice versa. They never had to worry about those things. And these women today are in a terrible battle for the souls of their children and the care of their home. And so I want to encourage you with that, just that like in the days of Esther, you were put here for such a time as this. And I pray that you'll take hold of the challenge that's given to you today. And I take, pray that you take hold of the challenge that's given to you in the scriptures, how to be a woman of God and a leader in your home as you're serving your husband and serving your family and caring for your household and being obedient to God and what he told her to do, what he told the women to do, and what these, these uh, prophets told the ladies to do. We know, we can read the book. It tells us what to do as men and as women. And, and um, Emily was talking to me this week. She goes, well, just what you've been, we've been talking about men-women relationships for the last couple of weeks. And she said, well, really what you're talking about is holiness. Okay, that's right. What you're talking about is holiness. You're talking about sanctification, which is set apart. To be holy is to be set apart. And if I'm going to be a woman of God, if I'm going to be a man of God, then I have to live in a set-apart manner. It's going to be different than how everybody else lives. And I can't be concerned about what the world says to me as a woman, a very ugly woman. They cannot tell. I can't worry about what the world says of me. How I walk, if I walk in the ways of God's word, I can't be concerned about what the world says. I need to be concerned about what God's word says, how God evaluates me. And as a man of God, the same thing. They have countless videos now for young men to watch about how to be manly. 
We're so fallen and so far from the cultures of our fathers and grandfathers that young men don't know how to be manly. And they're desperately lost and desperately lonely and, and desperately confused. And they think that, that it's just as manly to play uh, Call of Duty, a video game about shooting people. It's as manly to do that as it is to go get a job or to go work harder to support a family or to care for children or to care for those that are oppressed or to go in the military or to do anything that's manly. They think that playing video games is as manly as building and doing and being and all those things. I mean, that's how twisted up we are. And so we see 25 and 35-year-old guys still living in their mom and dad's basement, um, you know, addicted to pornography, no interest in getting a wife and all the terrible tragedies that come with that. And part of that is moms and dads not taking them and saying, this is the book, this is what it tells us how to be a man. Paul was very adamant with men. He told them, he, he never demeaned the military, Paul didn't. Even though the Romans were controlling them and beating the Jews up, he, he honored them and said, he used them as examples. These are manly guys. Bring your, bring your sword, bring your shield, get your belt, put on your shoes, put on your helmet. You're going to need it for the battle that you're in. Run the race, be an athlete, be a boxer, be fit. And our culture tells us that be unfit, be pudgy, lay in your basement, be a slug, let the government pay your way. That's what they tell them. And these guys, it leaves people confused. We believe what people in authority tell us is true. We believe it is true. We need to go back to the Word of God and see what it says. The Bible's given, the world has given our girls a terrible view of themselves, what it means to be sexy or cute or uh, acceptable or worthy. Their fathers have pulled away from them, no longer encouraging them. They're letting the world train them and school them. And the older ladies of the church, which we're commanded to by God's word, the older ladies of the church are to train the younger women to love their wives, to train their children. And we tell the other women, older women, why don't you sit down over there? And if I want anything from you, I'll squeeze your head. They don't, they don't even look to the older women to receive encouragement and training, instruction, and righteousness from them. And so what do we have? We have a bunch of lost... Uh, little girls out there that are looking for love and looking for acceptance from little boys that have no idea what it means to be loved or to give love. So they don't understand a father's love. They don't understand familial love. And we're in a bad, bad spot in our country right now because of that. So women, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and into the Greek. You should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ that tells you how to be a woman. Man, you should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It tells you how to be a man. And you should abide by those things. Whatever it tells you to do, do that. And you can't go wrong. And, and I'm not talking about denomination. I'm not talking about anything. I'm saying read the book, be a Berean, do what it says. And you can't go wrong. You'll be just fine. So in this first sentence where it says, likewise be submissive, wives, likewise be submissive, I don't really want to focus on the submissive part. We already talked about that part. We understand what it means. That even sometimes when your husband's not going the direction you wish he would, be humble, pray for him, encourage him, build him up, build up your children, do the work that you can. But the second part, I really like this, that even if some do not obey the word, the husband, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives because their wife is working it. She's in the word. She's studying the word. She's building the home the wise woman buildeth her home but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands with her own hands she does it all by herself she doesn't even need help from her husband 
She nags her husband. She pecks him down. She, be, she's, she belittles her children. She's, she's not a nurturing person, whatever, whatever the flaw is. She does it all by herself, and she destroys the very things that she wants. But a wise woman, she builds her home. She's in there like the, the, the lady of no importance, the one-legged spy from the United States. She's like that lady. She's doing whatever it takes to rescue her home, to build her home, to develop her home, to develop her man. And if we followed what the man was supposed to do, you would see he was doing the same for her. He was cultivating his wife. To, to cultivate is to dig the weeds out around the plant. Um, it's, kind of a funny, it's kind of a funny thing. I don't know if I was telling Mark this or not, but, but I'm, I like to garden, and we, we have crops and stuff. Well, I don't have any crops this year, but, but I do have a big garden. And I'll tell you, if you plant anything uh, outside of corn, it can outstretch it. But the weeds always grow faster than the plant. And what's also miraculous is the weeds that grow around any plant kind of looks like that plant. I don't know how that works. It's always the weed and tear things where they look almost exactly the same. You plant beans and they got this beanie looking weed that comes up beside it and strangles out the bean and you don't get any beans and you get a bunch of those uh, bindweed um, uh, plants, you know. And so when you, and then if you don't cultivate, if you don't clip out the weeds, if you don't dig them out and keep your, your rows relatively clean, what you end up with is you end up with smaller crops because the weeds take as mu much or more of the nutrition than the plant receives. So you end up with a weak plant, a wimpy stem, and then when you tear the weeds away, um, the beans especially, they'll fall over. Like the weeds actually support the beans. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. And so what you end up with in a wife that is an uncultivated wife, man, is you end up with a, a, a wimpy, statured wife. And when you take the weeds away from her, she'll fall over. As a husband, you need to cultivate her from the time she's young, when you, when you first know her, and help develop her, washing her daily in the Word. Come on, honey. Back to the tub. More washing. We've got to get the weed seeds off you. And then she develops a stronger root and stronger uh, stock and more developed fruit. And that's what we're going for. It's on the father. It's on the mother for the protection of the home. So this, I want you to take on for yourselves, lady, this secret agent idea of how am I going to be, how am I going to make it happen in my home? My kid's already moved out. Well, get on your secret agent skills and cross the Alps and go over there and fix them. They already left. They're already in this. They're already in that. They're living with a guy that they're not married to. I hate that. I can't believe they're doing that. All right, well, start praying. Start sending them scripture. Start sending them books. You know, help them. Help cultivate them. Your husband's cultivating you, I pray. You cultivate them. If your husband's not cultivating you, then you're going to have to work twice as hard. That's all I can tell you. Tear the vines off yourself and get to growing. Get to developing that fruit and working on your children. But anyway, the Lord God has placed you in a particular family, whatever that is, for this time. And this is a crazy time we're in. And his design for you, ladies, is to, to develop that. And I wanted to give you a couple heroines you could look up. Um, look up to because I'm telling you there's a lot of people have dealt and lived in a lot worse than we have in this age but it could potentially come and, and I hate that let's go to the book of Joshua chapter 2 we're going to talk about Rahab the harlot not trying to be cutting edge or anything how would you like for that to be your your secret agent code name. 
You call me Rahab the harlot. <laughs> I think I'll go with 007. And you can be, remember Agent 99? That's how old I am. Who remembers Agent 99? Get smart. Yeah. You can, uh, uh, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Rahab the harlot. Let's read uh, 2, 1 through 12. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. The men of the, uh, she's talking about the men, uh, the Jews. Uh, that the, that when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as they, those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up on the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, and you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And, all, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. And neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Um, people are quick to look down on uh, women of ill repute. And I dare say, uh, being in the military, I, I saw many of these uh, ladies over time. And particularly in Asia, where it was very difficult for men to find work. And I saw some of these ladies be some of the most compassionate, kind, and humble people you have ever met. And we're really quick to say, I've heard ladies say, I would never do that. I would never be a prostitute. There's no way I would ever do that. And I say to you, you've just never been hungry enough. You've never been under enough suffering. You've never been persecuted. You've never been demeaned to the point that you have nothing left to provide food for your family. And I dare say that you will do things that you never believed you would have done. And it's said of Jesus, of the, of the ladies in Jerusalem, that they would eat their own children, and they did. And so you need to be very careful in saying, I would never do that. And praise God above that you never had to do that. But I want to tell you that this lady Rahab was quite the queen. She had a rough start, I'm not going to lie. But she had a strong finish. She was a secret agent that saw the big picture. Because she recognized that the God Most High, creator of all things, had the power over life and death. And that he had sent her an angel, a rescuer in the form of these men. She had a way. She knew her, her whole country was going down. She knew her city was going down, and she had an opportunity to rescue her family. 
2 verse 9, I know the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you, because we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea and so on. She remembered an event that happened 40 years before. And let me tell you, this lady's not 40 years old. I doubt she is. She's younger because she ends up getting married and having children. Ultimately, the great-grandmother of King David and of Solomon, the great-great-whatever-grandmother of Solomon, and Hezekiah and Josiah, all the godly kings came from Rahab the harlot. Think about that. She's the queen mother. We just heard this morning the Hebrew word for, for mother and grandmother, same word. She's a queen. Oh. She recognized that the work that God did through men, that he was more powerful than any god of the nations, any god of their city, and she's like, I want to be attached to that god. I'm going to tell you what else Rahab did not have. She didn't have the meeting that Joshua had. Remember, Joshua had a meeting with the commander of the Lord's army, and the way it's written there in Joshua is, is he comes before him, and commander is a capital C, and Lord's Lord is capital L, and army is capital A. It's Jesus Christ. And he says, are you with us or are you against us? And he says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua goes, oh, heck. He goes, <laughs> he doesn't take a side. He is the side. He's the side. And Rahab recognized that God is the side. And if you're not on his side, there is no other side. You're on the losing side. There's only one side. And so she was a very brilliant person, in my opinion. Uh, she gave all that she possessed right here. She was willing to give it up, knowing that she would be rescued when everyone else was destroyed. And she didn't even know the whole plan, that they were supposed to come kill every man, woman, and child, all the sheep, all the oxen, and keep the gold and the brass, silver, and iron, and dedicate that to the Lord. But they weren't to keep it individually. And that's a story for another day. But the reality is... Um, she was very wise. Maybe it was uh, streetwise, but she was wise. And she saw the opportunity to rescue her family, and she took the chance, and she did it. And the other thing I was thinking is other people in the city had the same option. They could have walked out of Jericho and given themselves over to the Israelites, and they would have lived. Because God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God is a God of wrath, yes. He's a God of justice, yes. He's a God of judgment, yes. He's a God of love as well. He's the creator God of all things. He doesn't want to see the things that he created. He didn't create lambs so that they could just be a bloody sacrifice. He didn't create man so he could be a bloody uh, a dead carcass laying there in the woods and God can just stand over him and laugh. That's not what he created man for. He created man to reconcile with himself and to find uh, joy and happiness in the development of creation, taking dominion over the earth and, and being fruitful and multiplying, doing all the things that men do. He gave us these things to enjoy. He gave us all those things. He didn't give us all those things so that he could just crush us and say, well, I showed you I'm God. But when men consistently turn their back on God, he eventually turns his back on them. If they have no need for him. But this Rahab, she was wiser than that. So in order to gain a life that she could never afford on her own, not only for herself, but for her family. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, verse 12, since I have also shown you kindness, that you will show kindness to my father's house. He doesn't even say to myself. 
Let me make sure. Yeah, she doesn't ask for her own health. She doesn't ask for her own life. I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will show kindness to my father's house. Give me a true token. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. She does include us in our. But she doesn't call to save me. She's got the bigger picture as the mother, as the as the the lead woman in the home, she says, save us all. And they do. I want you to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Just for a moment. First, I want to read this. Uh, go ahead, Hebrews chapter 11. Because she gets a plug there. In Hebrews 6.10, it says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Did Rahab minister to the saints? Yes. She took the chosen people of God. She included them in her household. She hid them. She cared for them. And she let them go away safely. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Verse 18, uh, or verse 17, Thus God, this is in chapter 6, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay, hope of, uh, lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Verse 10 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and the labor of your love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you ministered, and that you continue to minister. And the second part says, it's a hope that we have, an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast, which allows us access to the presence behind the veil. Because of the work that she did in faith, God did not forget her. And you go to chapter 11 in the Hall of Heroes, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, all died, faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, kept the Passover. Verse 31, by faith, <laughs> it was real nice of the guy to just slam her one last time. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And then it starts, what more can I say? <laughs> by faith. In faith, she knew that if she did the Hebrews 6.10 thing, God is not um, willing to forget your sacrifice to those that minister and those that continue to minister. And ultimately, that will give you access to the presence behind the veil. And by faith, she does that. And by faith, she receives everlasting life in a sense. That's the picture. She receives life. Not just her, but her whole family. That's an amazing woman right there. She's such a great remi uh, reminder to us that God can and will use anyone. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I want to tell you this, young people. Be very careful what you do in your youth because the things in your old age that you have regrets over, they're not what happened two years ago. It's what happened when you were 17, 16, 19, 21. That's when you, that's when you do the things that you have regrets of later, particularly the things you do with your body. So be very careful and save yourself for your husband and save yourself to protect your family and and save yourself for your wife. The body is to be used for God's service and his glory. 
and you need to see it yourself in a sense as a tool and as a slave and as a servant of the Most High God. But I will also tell you that God knows that you're a sinner. It's like a guy told me he was a welder, and I was grinding a weld. And he goes, why are you grinding that weld so much? They know you welded it. He knows what you are. He knows you're a sinner. He knows you're but dust. He knows that. He can use you anyway. Repent and seek his face, and he'll use you. And Rahab was wise in that she was repentant, and she sought the face of the Most High God. She'd never, she didn't even have the experience of seeing the commander of the Lord's army, but she knew there was a God and that he was an all-powerful God, and she wanted to attach herself to him. And so when the messenger came to speak of him, she recognized his voice. I want to go with that God. That's the winner right there. Go with the winner. Man. So she went from the bottom of the heap to being a revered woman amongst the Jews and a queen mother. That's amazing. In the line of David and so on. I don't know if you remember this. It's kind of, it's kind of an older thing now, and especially for young people, but Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, they were missionaries to South America there. And Jim Elliot gave his life very young, and Elizabeth Elliot ended up staying uh, he was killed by headhunters, basically, that he was trying to reach with the gospel. And Elizabeth Elliot ended up staying and ministering to those people, and eventually that whole tribe became Christian in name, and in essentially a, a large number of them were saved. But Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I mean, she was going to lose everything anyway. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. She was no fool. She was a wise woman. She was worried about building her house. She was willing about building her daddy's house and her mother's house and her sister's and her brother's house. That's a wise woman. And look at the legacy. I will say that if you go anywhere beyond there, you won't find out what happened to her father, mother, brothers, and sisters. But you know what happened to her. God did not forget her work of ministry to the saints. Ladies, he won't forget you either. I don't know what kind of oppression. I hate to know that ladies are being, uh, you know, their husbands are being mean to them or talking down to them or whatever's going on in your house. I hate to hear that. I hate to know that. Um, however, God does not forget. And he recognizes the ministry that you do to your home and to your children. And he will bless you in the end. And he will care for you in the end. And he loves you. Go to Acts 16. I'll show you this other lady. It re reminds me so much of... Rahab, in a sense, and you'll see the parallels maybe there. Acts 16, we'll talk about Lydia. Another wise woman who was seeking to build her house. So we have the Macedonian call. Well, we should have sang the Macedonian call today. Emily. Darn it. We missed that one. Well, maybe next week. <laughs> Do you know that one? Oh, well, you look it up, honey, and then we'll have it next week. We'll be ready next week for the Macedonian call. Oh, man. I can't dog Emily. She's, she's uh, doing us a good job. It says, uh, so Paul, he sees that vision. He's like, man, where are we going to go next? We want to go here. I want to go there. And that night, a man of Macedonia stood in a dream, in a vision to Paul, and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So the first place he goes is to Philippi. And verse 16 and verse 13 and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman was named Lydia, heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken of by Paul, 
And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. That's the same story. That is the same story. These guys are being chased all over Robin Hood's barn out here. And when they get here, this lady says, come and stay with me, and I'll take care of you. That's the same person, the same personality, right? This lady, Lydia, is a very wise woman. She's, uh, she's already seeking, this is, this is how she is found, by the way. She's already seeking to find Yahweh. She's already following Yahweh, Father God, Lord God Most High, Adonai, Adonai Eloheinu. He, she's already following him. And she's already looking for him. So in searching for God, he finds her. He sends a messenger. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me when I call. Because his, she was looking for the shepherd. And so when the messenger comes and he speaks, she hears the voice of God speaking through the messenger because she was already listening for it. It was on the Sabbath. She was in a place where she could potentially hear from God. And this is a really biblical principle that those who are humble and seek after God will be found by him. They seek, God finds them. The problem with the age we live in today is nobody seeks after God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeketh after God. That's the day we live in. When the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? The answer is no. Because there's very few that seek after God. There's some, there's a few, but there's very few. And it's a tragedy. But this lady was seeking. And so he sends her a messenger to give her the word. And it was on the Sabbath day by the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And I want to tell you girls, I know some of you girls, Gracie's graduating and uh, one of the Olsen boys graduated. Actually, both of them are out. And then Callie Strong graduated this the other day. And Thomas, someday, man, we have hope. You will graduate. And others, Henry. But what happens when you're away from the house? Your priorities change. Mom and dad aren't there telling you, put your shorts on and let's go to church or whatever. And, and what happens is we tend not to do what Lydia was doing. We do it as an adult. I, I don't know what, I'm not blaming you guys. What I'm telling you is to find a place, Grace, eye contact, find a place, Callie Strong, where prayer is customarily made because it is there that you will hear the voice of God. So you make sure, no matter how busy and whatever you got going on in your school days and your college days and whatever, you make sure that on Saturday that you find a place of rest and Sunday morning, bright and early, you're somewhere where prayer is customarily made. So that you can hear the voice of God. So that you can hear the shepherd's voice. Parents, the same thing with you. Be somewhere where prayer is customarily made. So that you can hear the voice of God. And you can answer and you can be obedient to his servant. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. But, but they got to hear my voice. they got to be my sheep. And then they'll follow me. Don't take Sunday off because you ran too hard last week and you just don't have the energy for Sunday. But that's a really good point right there is she was in the potential place where God's voice would be heard. She was in a place where prayer was customarily made. Anyway, she already had a heart open to God and then immediately, this is the most important part, is that when she and her household were baptized 
She didn't receive the word with gladness like it says of the Ethiopian eunuch. It says he received the word with gladness. He went away, he received the word with gladness. So he takes his chariot and he rides off back to Ethiopia. He's by himself. We don't know what he did from there. Hopefully he told other Ethiopians when he got there. But with Lydia, she was like, this is a good word. She was in the place where prayer was customarily made. She received the word. She took the word. She ran it back to her house. She took the guys with her. She said, you've got to hear these guys. These guys got the truth. These guys got the very word of life. Well, it must be due to be saved. You need to repent and be baptized for remission of your sins. Okay. And so she takes them. She gets the whole household baptized. And now, as good new believers want to do, she's like, we should do something. Why don't you come to our house and stay with us? We don't know these people from Adam. And they're going to come to our house. And I'm going to tell you, these people are being pursued and persecuted, these ones, uh, Paul and his associates there. Um, he, these people are being pursued by those that do not want the gospel spread. And she is a bold woman because she knows that uh, she's no fool to give up what she cannot gain or cannot keep to gain what she cannot lose. I got everything. If I got eternal life, I got everything. <laughs> My friend Markelson over here, we were... He was talking about, he was in bad shape financially, and he said, he said, Lord, I, I need to make a withdrawal from the account. He's like, I am broke, and uh, I need to make a withdrawal. You say, I have all these uh, riches in eternity. I mean, I need to make a draw on the account. And in the next day or two, he receives a check from his dad, who is, he's not estranged from, but he's not overly close to, maybe. And he receives a check from him for a, a few thousand dollars, and, um, and it says, you know, Something like, I, I don't know why I haven't given this to you before, or something like that. What do you say? <laughs> so, anyway, he gives him the money, and Markelson gets the check, and he goes, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know? I mean, you don't ask because you don't, you don't receive because you don't ask. You don't ask that you might receive. And so he asked, and he received, and he was blessed in that, and he recognized where the blessing came from, and he gave it back to the Lord, you know? If you want, I wanted to read this to you. I know I'm going off track, just a hair here, but I, I just had to read you this part this morning. And it was in that Psalm 66. And it said in verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And so many unanswered prayers are directly tied to this right here, where I'm playing this game of a double life and leading a double life, and I got my own thing going on. And, you know, maybe, maybe my husband finds out, maybe my wife finds out, maybe I got some Facebook friends I shouldn't have, or whatever you're doing. Whatever you're doing, you know what you're doing. And then, but when I really need the Lord, he's not going to hear because I'm regarding iniquity in my heart. I'm keeping that higher than my relationship with my Lord. But verse 19 says, but certainly God has heard me and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. But God did hear me. He did hear me, proving that I did not harbor iniquity in my heart. And, I, and it says sin hinders faith and lack of faith hinders an answer from God. If I got sin in my heart, I'm not going to be confident enough to go out and tell someone else the gospel, tell someone else the hope that I have, because I don't understand it. I'm carrying around guilt all the time. It, Pilgrim, he carried around this burden of sin long after he had accepted Christ. And he finally gets to the cross, and the shadow of the cross falls on him, and it falls off his back. But he kept trying to do it in his own strength and towed it around and towed it around and the guilt was so heavy that he couldn't run the race well. If I harbor iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayers. And Lydia, she was at the river. She was clean. She was desiring to be clean. She was desiring to live clean. She had a clean heart. 
And she did not fear. It says you will not fear. We read that in, in 1 Peter 3. You will not fear in the day of terror. She wasn't afraid of the persecutors. She wasn't afraid of the, of the uh, pursuers. She was free. Man, that's a good woman right there. Anyway, so after they meet Lydia, from 16 on, Paul, as was the thing he usually did, got himself arrested, got beat, and got put in prison. And at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed, and they escaped. The, the jailkeeper, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Man, it just doesn't work that way now. Why doesn't it? It's because we received the gospel, and we're afraid to tell someone else the gospel. Man, we should be praying, ladies, for your whole household, men, for your whole household. That night, uh, the, the prison keeper took them the same hour to the, his own house and washed their stripes. See what happens in the new believer, just like Lydia. He can't help but bring them to his house. How many times on mission trips, and um, you that have gone with me here and there can testify, but we'll meet like one person in a town and I'll be darned, we'll see that guy five times in the next two days. We don't know anybody at the time. We'll see that guy, and we'll be in that guy's house. And a couple times, I might have got myself in some trouble one way or another, and that'll be the guy that comes and gets us out. God will put us with the one guy that we need to know. It happens every time. And it says right here in verse 40, so they get out, the keeper of the prison, verse 36, reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart in peace. And Paul is a rascal, man. He says, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and they have thrown us into prison, and now they want to put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get, out, and get us out. And, and these guys were terrified because they had uh, done such a negative thing. They'd beaten a Roman citizen without a uh, uh, call there. And they came and pleaded with them, please just go away. Please just go away. And where does Paul go? Verse 40. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. Lydia takes care of them. She's the secret agent of Philippi. They received the gospel. She was so joyful. Her whole family was saved and baptized. They were encouraged. So Paul's like, man, before we, I mean, we're leaving town because they're big on beating us here. So we're going to leave town. But before we go, we better go say goodbye to Lydia. Because if anybody cares about us, she does. And the lady is in the, is in the book, man. Forever, we're reading about her today, 2,000 years lady, uh, later, this, this woman of God that's so good, the secret agent of Philippi. She was just a wise woman seeking the welfare of her home and her family. I'll tell you about one other lady. Now, these were good Bible ladies. This other lady is, I, I, um, I, like, I like American heroes. This lady's name was Margaret Cochran Corbin. Anybody ever heard of her? Margaret Cochran Corbin. Uh, November 16, 1776, 22-year-old woman joins her husband at the Battle of Fort Washington where she helps him load a cannon. Her husband's killed there, so she takes over the cannon and fires repeatedly at the British troops until she's injured, shot in the left breast, uh, part of her jaw shot off, and her left arm nearly shot off. Despite her injury, she keeps firing until she was eventually taken prisoner by the British. She never regained use of her left arm, but after she recovered and was released from the British, 
She worked at a hospital at West Point caring for the wounded until formally discharged from the Army in 1783. She got a lifetime pension equal to one half of what men received. That's a shame. She died at age 49, and her body was eventually moved to West Point and given a funeral with full military honors. That's a woman right there. Um, she cared about her family. She cared about her country. And I wrote that devotional this morning about, about us caring about our city and how we as believers, you as ladies, you as men, as believers, have a lot of influence. If you want to live at peace in your city, here or wherever you're from, in your county, in your state, then you need to be active in your city, county, and state. You need to be praying in your city, county, and state, and for. You need to be serving the children in your city, county, and state. You need to be helping the poor in your city, county, and state. You need to be teaching young people. You need to be teaching your own children to be godly men and women and not just good kids. We need godly adults. We don't need good kids. Good kids just means they're not bothering us. Um, we need godly adults. We need our children to be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And you ladies, that's your job. Well, they're not in my house anymore. Well, call them. <laughs> Encourage them and build them up. Because I know, I know, because some of you ladies have told me this, and I'm sad for you. And some of your child-rearing days are behind you. I understand that. But you still have influence with your children. Um, although we're not overly full today, a lot of times uh, Mother's Day is one of your busier days. I mean, if anybody's going to call, uh, if your kids are going to call and they don't call often, they'll call today. And today is the day that you could tell them about Christ. You can encourage them. I don't know how you started. Maybe you started off as a Rahab. I don't know. A lot of women carry great guilt for, for how they started off when they were young. Uh, men do too. Um, but look what God did with Rahab. Look what he did with Lydia. Lydia was an honorable lady who took care of Paul, the writer of all these New Testament books, and Silas, his associate there. And you could be that. You, you got time. If you got breath in your lungs, you can be a lady like these ladies. And I pray that we don't ever have to be in combat and you have to help fire the cannon, but I pray that you're willing if it comes to that. Men, I pray that you cultivate your wives. Wives, I pray that you serve your families well with honor. And I pray you have a good Mother's Day. The Lord's not going to forget your secret service to him because all souls have great value to our Father in heaven. And so whatever part is that God's given you to do in your home and in your family, I pray you take it on with, with zeal and diligence and vigilance and you're encouraged in that, in that uh, conflict there, okay? I'm going to pray for the ladies of our church this morning and then we're going to um, we're going to have communion this morning. When we, whenever um, uh, after we pray, uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to come right up the middle, take the elements, and then go around the outside back to your seats. And we'll start with the front rows. But let's pray first for the ladies this morning. Husbands, you can put your hand on your wife's back and uh, be praying for them as well. And um, for those of you uh, that haven't bought your mother a present yet, Thomas, did you get her a present? Okay. Just checking. Just checking. Henry. You get your mommy a present? Okay. He doesn't know. It's whatever dad got me and gave me to give to her. That's what I got. Anyway, well, we'll work on that. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do lift up the ladies of our fellowship, Lord. I pray against all those things that are hindering them right now. 
those, those memories of things from the past that have discouraged them or those things where they feel like they've fallen short because they didn't do one thing or another for their family or to their family. Lord, I pray that today is a new day and that they recognize that, that you love them and that you have a job for them to do and you care for them and that you care for their soul and you care for the souls of their family. Lord, for ladies that are here that may have a rough marriage at home, Lord, I pray for them, Lord. I pray for peace in their homes, mercy from their husbands, Lord. I pray that you give them endurance for the race ahead as they, as they serve their husbands and serve their families, Lord. I pray that they see abundant fruit from that. Lord, I pray that you work in the lives of the ladies at Plant Grow Harvest, that these ladies would see the lost in our, in our county, and they would care for the children of our county. They would care for the lost of our county. They would care for the lost in their families. They would, they would speak the word of life to them. Lord, I pray that they're encouraged today by these testimonies of these ladies who have lived before, that they would see that they can be just like them, that their names can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that they would see that as a, as a blessing and an honor to be thought of as one worthy to be called a child of God. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, and your long-suffering towards us. Have mercy on us, a bunch of sinners, Lord, and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.